Since God has called you, since God has saved you, since Jesus died on the cross for your sins and rose again, and God has done this great thing in your life, then you should be eager to make sure your calling is secure. You should be eager to work in your faith to continue to grow. Are you looking for meaning or a word from God that's relevant to your life? Are you searching for a better understanding of who God is? Well, you're in the right place. You found the Gary Talks About God podcast. This is a weekly podcast that comes to you from the pulpit of Red Bank Missionary Baptist Church in Germantown, North Carolina. The podcast is hosted by Red Bank Senior Pastor Gary Sanders. Now let's get ready to take that walk through God's Word with our pastor, teacher, and friend. Hey, he's that guy we call Gary. Second Peter chapter 2 this morning. No, Second Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1, the second part of the series from last week, Growing in Our Faith, uh, part 2 this morning. Last week we introduced it with The More You Know, and i got to thank Barry. Barry sent me all kinds of text messages this week about The More You Know. Like, they're all, watch it, you know, I, I really didn't know that it was still that popular and, and, and that big of an ad campaign, but that was kind of our theme uh, for last week's sermon. This week, The More You Know, The More You Know About your faith, the more you can grow in it. And Peter was saying to us as we grow in our faith that there's really two aspects to grow, that God has a role in it. And and we looked at those last week of, of what God was going to do to equip us so that we could grow in our faith. And at the same time, we said, and that's what we're going to look at this morning, is we have a responsibility to grow in our faith, right? We don't come and confess Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior And at that moment, we are immediately fully mature in our faith with no room to grow. We always have room to grow in our faith. And so this morning, we're going to look at our responsibility to grow in our faith and how Peter addresses that and and what we're called to do. So this morning, if you have your Bibles, 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 5 and reading down, to verse 11. It says, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So this morning, if you have your study guides, we're in the second point, which is God calls believers to work on our faith. God calls believers to work on our faith. And look at how strongly Peter words this. Right, Verse 5, he says, Make every effort. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds a lot like work, doesn't it? I mean, it, it really does. Make every effort. You know, 
Thursday and Friday and Saturday, we, we had some nice weather, right? It, it was beautiful days. So Friday, the day I typically take as my day off, I decided, you know what? I'm kind of got a couple days here, spring-like weather, not quite ready to do the full-blown yard work, but I can do some preparatory yard work, right? You know, where you got to go out and get the sticks out of the yard, and I got a gravel driveway. I got to get the gravel the kids have kicked into the grass out before I can mow, you know. And I was out there, and I was walking around. I was kind of doing those things, and I'm looking at my yard, and I'm thinking, hmm, my grass. See, I, in, in my mind, I, I've got, I want to have this really beautiful yard, this really lush grass that you go out and you, you take your shoes off and you walk barefooted through and you lay down in and you just enjoy. And I'm sitting there looking at it and I'm going, all right, well, uh, I would need to have the yard plugged. I would need to have the yard seeded. Then I'm going to have to have straw put down. Then I'm going to have to mow more. And I'm like, man, it's going to take a whole lot of effort to get that yard that I want. Okay, I'm at the end of a dead end. Nobody sees it. I'm fine. You, you know, just I'm not going to make every effort, right? Maybe that's not where you don't make every effort, but we got some area in our life where we get to that point where good enough is good enough, all right? Friday at 3 o'clock, whatever you're working on, uh, it's good enough. You know, I'm ready to go home for the weekend. Somewhere, <laughs> we've got, there's a line. But Peter says there is no line in that when it comes to us growing in our faith. He says you have got to make every effort. <laughs> got to work at it. It's not going to happen. I know last week I held the Bible up to our heads because we talked about knowledge a little bit. You know, it, it doesn't work. You can't go to bed at night, put the Bible underneath your pillow, sleep on the Bible, and it's just going to seep into your brain. It doesn't work. I didn't check on these, but I remember the studies where it used to, uh, uh, and I didn't run this by land. I probably should have before I thought about this, but I remember they used to do studies and, or tell students, you know, sleep at night with earphones on, playing the information over and over, so when you wake up in the morning, you would know it. I don't think those studies worked. Because <laughs> it, it takes work. Same thing when it comes to our faith. It takes Work Now, what Peter does here when he says that, he says, make every effort. But then the next word is the word supplement. He says, make every effort to supplement your faith. Okay, So here's what happens, and we can't see it. Because he does something with the word supplement, or it may say add in, in your translation. It says, uh, make every effort to add to your faith. That word add or supplement is a really interesting word. And he's pointing back to something he's already told us, but just because it's, we lose it in translation. Okay, Do you remember last week when we spent a, a lot of time talking about in verse 3 where it says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And we said that Peter, uh, Peter wrote that God has given us everything that we need. There's nothing lacking. We're not missing anything to grow in our faith. God has given us everything. Remember that? Well, that word add that Peter uses this morning is referred to back in, in Greek history as a person who is a benefactor of the arts. So this person in the community would be a wealthy person, would be a very generous person, would come up to somebody and say, hey, look, you're, you're wanting to put on a play or you want to perform a production, you want to make a sculptor, I am going to be your benefactor. I am going to give you everything that you need to do this. So all you have to do, you don't have to worry about the cost anymore. All you have to do is go and perform the play, go create the sculpture, go paint the painting. 
That's the word that Peter uses. And he uses it to point us back to God to remind us when he says, look, make every effort to add to your faith. You can do this because God has already given you everything that you need. You don't have to worry about if there's something that you lack. All you need to focus on is growing in your faith. Because you have everything that He has told you that you need. So instead of spinning your wheels going, Oh man, I would like to grow in my faith, but I'm lacking this. No, you're not. God's already given it to you. So go work to grow in your faith. And Peter says the first place that we need to work, he says we need to work to grow in godly virtues. We need to work to grow in godly virtues. And he calls our attention to seven specific virtues. Now, this list is not all-encompassing. Okay, There are other virtues in, in Scripture that we are given. If you would just turn to Galatians 5 and look at the fruit of the Spirit, you would see that there's some in Galatians 5 that Peter don't, does not list here. Okay, th- This is not it. All right? there, there are more. But as Peter is writing to combat false teaching, he focuses in on these seven because the false teachers and their false theology and false doctrine were not exhibiting these virtues. So Peter points them out specifically. That's why he points them out. But secondly, just when you have a list, you immediately kind of think that there's a progression. And I I don't particularly see a progression other than this. It's got to start with faith. Every one of these virtues starts and is anchored in the faith in Jesus Christ. You cannot grow in morality or in godliness if it were not for Christ. You cannot grow in self-control if it was not for Christ. You, you cannot grow in love if it was not for Christ. You cannot grow in these moral attributes if you are not grounded through a saving faith in Jesus Christ. That, that's the anchor. So Peter writes, hey, look, you need to grow in virtue. And virtue means moral excellence. This is the same thing in verse 3 when uh, Jesus says He calls people to, to His glory and His excellence. So the same glory and excellence that Jesus calls us, we are now told to go, call, we're, we're called to go emulate. We're, going to, we're called to go show His excellence in, in our lives. A virtuous person does what is right regardless of the outcome. A virtuous person is brave. Is generous. A virtuous person is a person that lives a life that is worthy of praise. Somebody to look at you and go, you know what? That's that's a virtuous life. They're 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 following just like Christ. They're living their life just like he did. Peter calls us to grow in knowledge. And I've mentioned before that Peter uses two different words for knowledge. This is not the word that he uses for a saving knowledge. This is, the, the, this is practical knowledge. And as it is practical, we need to understand it is not esoteric. It is, it is not philosophical. It is not just theoretical knowledge just to know something. All right? Think about how much stuff you know just because you just know it, but it, it doesn't do you really any good. It's just something you know. That's not the type of knowledge we're called to know about Jesus Christ. We're called to have a knowledge about Him and about what pleases Him. 
It is a knowledge that means, quote, we can make a distinction between what is true and what is false, what is right and what is wrong, what is objectionable and what is moral. It is understanding our Savior and what He expects from us. Right? It's so hard to meet expectations and do what you're called to do if you don't know what you're called to do. I've shared this with you many, many times. The, the greatest fear of my life growing up and going through high school and college was when a, a professor or teacher said, here, go write a 10-page paper on what? Anything you want. I'm like, oh, no. I don't know what topic you want me to write about, so I, I can't do it. Right? That, that's, we, we've got to know Christ and what He has called us to do. And as we know Him, it becomes practical because we put it into place in our lives. It's the knowledge that guides us and directs us. And in case you didn't know, <laughs> the only place to find that knowledge is in God's Word. It, it, it is where we find our knowledge of Him. You have to study God's Word so you can know what God expects of you what God expects His children to do. He then tells us that we need to grow in self-control. Man, <laughs> if there is one virtue that is slowly ceasing to become a virtue, it is probably self-control, right? I mean, I did, you know, I lived growing up in the 80s, you know, 90s, go get what you want, you know. It's your, you know, just whatever you want, whatever pleases you, go, go get it. And that message seems to have been really amplified lately, right? It's yours, go get it. Don't, don't worry about any consequences. Don't, don't attempt to rein in your, your, your behavior, your attitudes. Just give into it and go do or whatever you want. All right? that, that seems to be the message that the world has been spreading lately. And if you notice that, what you'll notice, not only in the world, but in a believer's life as well, have you ever noticed that if you lack self-control, you don't drift towards the good stuff in life? <laughs> you, you ever notice that? If, if virtue and godliness is over here, and evil and sinfulness is over here, and you don't exercise self-control, you don't gradually go this way, <laughs> right? You, you, you gradually go towards the negative, to the sin, to what you shouldn't be engaged in. If you lack self-control, you are ruled by your passions instead of being constrained by your convictions. That's what self-control is. And there's a really important word in that virtue. It's the word self. I know it seems patently obvious, but let me just remind you that if we do not learn self-control, if you do not teach yourself self-control, if you do not exercise self-control, nobody else is going to be able to do it for you. That's a hard lesson to learn. Because if you don't learn to do it, everything that scampers across your mind, you will give in to. And here Peter says, you've got to be You've got to be self-controlled. You've got to control your mind. Control it so that if something goes across your mind that is not pleasing to God, then you're not going to do it. You've got to exercise self-control so that if somebody comes up and says to you, this is what God's Word says, and you go, okay, fine, I'm going to go on this. It's like, wait a minute, I don't know that that's 
correct. I might not want to follow you. If somebody comes up to you and says, hey, won't you join me in this sin? You can go, no, I'm not going to do that. We need self-control. And right now, I think if you exercise self-control as a believer, it is probably on this list the leading virtue that will separate you from the world. I really do. Then he says steadfastness, longevity. You know, we are called to endure all the way to an end. I know I've used this metaphor over and over and over and over and over and over, and you should know it by now. We're not in a sprint, we're in a marathon. We're not in the sprint. Well, the other day, I was on a uh, pastor's call, and uh, we were introducing ourselves. And it, it was just this. There were several nerds on this this conversation on this call, because one guy talked about collecting uh, toys, and uh, I talked about collecting Legos, and somebody talked about collecting baseball cards. And so this guy goes, "I don't collect." cars cards or toys he goes i collect marathon medals and you know i think most of us rolled our eyes at at that point (laughs) because the only thing that i can do at 26.2 is probably the number of oreos i could eat but um (laughs) you know we're in a marathon we just we, we 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 keep going and the thing about a marathon is you just think about it again from the visual if you're in a sprint you can see from the beginning to the end. You know exactly what is coming. And you know, I just got to get right there. But if you're in a marathon, there's twists, there's turns, there's hills, there's obstacles. There, there's all sorts of things that you're going to come in contact with on that marathon course that you won't come in contact with on that track in that sprint. And so we've got to have this marathon mentality as we grow in our faith so that as we're running and and trials come, we keep on running. As insults are are hurled at us, we keep on running. As people make fun of us, we keep on running. As life just intervenes, it might not be anything from somebody making fun of us for being a believer, but just life intervening, we keep on going, we keep running. And we keep running because, as Peter writes later, we want to be found without spot or blemish when he returns. We run in the light of knowing that he is coming back, and we want to keep running because we don't want to be found napping the day that he returns. We don't want to be found lacking. So we got to have that steadfastness to continue to go on. Then Peter says godliness. And the way Peter uses godliness is he kind of uses it as a catch-all. Right, It's Peter's term for living a life that is in tune with God. Every single aspect of your life should be lived in godliness, should be lived in tune with God. And he linked it to verse 3 where he says, pertaining to life and godliness. This is what we're called to do, a life that is pleasing to God. Right? We spend so much time in our lives trying to please people. Right? We want to live a life or do something that pleases our spouse or, or pleases our kids or pleases our boss. We, we spend a lot of time wanting to do something so that when somebody looks down on us and what we're doing for them, they go, all right, that, that brings happiness to me. That pleases me. How much more so should that be true about how we live our lives so that when God looks down from heaven, He can look down and use our name and go, you know what? 
Sandy pleases me, or Ned pleases me, or Patsy pleases me, Joe pleases me. Because everything that they are doing, every aspect of your life is lived in tune with God. Then he calls us to live in brotherly affection. And this is mentioned many other times in Scripture. The way that we demonstrate to each other that, that we are part of the faith is loving our brothers and sisters. You know, it, it's an affection that we demonstrate towards each other where we bear one another's burdens. Where we encourage one another, you can, you can do this. Where we challenge one another on times. It, it's, it's a higher quality of relationship that believers are called to have than, than really with other people outside the community. It's not saying we're not nice, it's not saying we're not kind, but between us, between brothers and sisters, there, there should be a higher level of love between one another. Why? Because we're, we're family. We're all part of God's family. That's right. <laughs> you got to deal with me. I'm part of your family now. Right? That, that's how we're supposed to relate to each other. But then Peter ends it with really the highest Christian virtue of all, where he writes that we should grow in our love. We should grow in love. I, th th that really is our highest or the highest Christian virtue. There is no greater. Peter uses that word agape, that self sacrificing love. And as I was starting to write about that, I thought, you know what? There's no better exposition on this than from John's pen. So from 1 John 4, 7-12, through 12, this is what John writes about love. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. And this, the love of God, was made manifest among us that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but rather He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. Man, that's... that's there's a lot of room to grow in that one. Because we are reminded that God is love and His love was demonstrated. He sent Christ to die on the cross for our sins. And now He says, you know what? Go demonstrate that, that love to the world, that self-sacrificing love to the world and point them back to the cross. Grow in love. You can see then how, how Peter is just imploring us to have a growing faith. And one of the reasons that we have a growing faith and we want to continue to work in our faith to grow is because when we work, it keeps us from being useless. We work to keep us from being useless. That's why he writes in verse 8 and 9, For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful. I don't know about you, but I don't like being useless. I've never met anybody who, 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 who likes that, right? I, I mean, I, I really haven't. Even though they may, they may demonstrate it through some of the way that they work and what they do or something, you may think, man, that person must just really feel useless. And maybe they do, but I guarantee you, if you sit down and talk to them for just a moment, they don't want to feel that way. Nobody wants to feel 
useless. Yet if we do not work to grow in our faith, we are going to be useless in our faith. We're going to be ineffective and unfruitful. Now, I need to say this. The opposite of growing is not staying the same. Okay? The opposite of growing is not staying the same. If you are not growing, then you are shrinking. You're going backwards in your faith. You can't plateau. Right? There, there might be some areas in your life where, where you can plateau and you just... That, that's as good as you're going to get. And as long, you know, that, that's it. That's your best. You're not going to get any better. You're not going to get any worse. You, you, you've plateaued. That's not true in our faith. Well, this analogy and this imagery has one glaring fault that you'll probably figure out pretty quickly. It's what popped into my mind when I wrote this. So I was thinking about this. I immediately thought of a treadmill. Not because I use one or like them, but I just immediately thought of the imagery of a treadmill, Right? If you're on a treadmill, you have to keep walking forward, right? you got to keep walking, because what happens when you stop walking? Right? You get slung off that treadmill, and the next thing you know, you're a viral video on Facebook. Why? Because if you're on a treadmill, there is no standing in place. You either got to go forward, or you're going backwards. Now, where that analogy falls down with faith is, you know, in the treadmill as you're walking forward, you don't actually go anywhere, right? That, that's where the analogy breaks down, but I want you to focus on flying off the back more than anything. Because if we don't keep going forward, we're going to be useless. And the whole point of our faith is not to be useless. The whole point of the gospel is to change the world. How in the world did fishermen a tax collector, a doubter, a zealot, change the course of history. Well, it wasn't because their faith was irrelevant. Right? If, if our faith is irrelevant, we're useless, it's pointless, and the world's going to look at us and go, who cares what they believe? It's not making any difference. But we're not called to be pointless. We're called to change the world. And we change the world by becoming more like Jesus. And the more we become like Jesus, the more then, you know what's going to happen? We're going to see the world like Jesus does. Because Peter writes here, look at what, how Peter puts this. He says, if we are not growing, he says, we have become blind, nearsighted, and forgetful. And if you are those three things, you can't see the world like Jesus does. If you're blind, you can't see anything. If you're nearsighted, you can't see what's in front of you. And if you're forgetful, you can't see what lies behind. Right? You can't see the corruption and the sin that is present in the world. You, you can't see the future and, and will be tempted to live your life independent of God. And if you, you can't look backwards, then you forgot the fact that God redeemed you from sin. And at that point, you're useless. There's nothing that you can do. Peter says, if you're growing in these virtues, then you're not going to be fruitless. You're not going to be blind. You're going to be able to see all of this. 
And you take those three things together, and it's indicative then of, of your faith is either impacting or not impacting your life. If you're blind, nearsighted, and forgetful, faith is not impacting your life. You're useless. But again, we don't want to be useless. So let's restate the, this in the positive. When these virtues are not only present in your life, but are increasing, they're abounding in your life, then you are useful and fruitful to God and the kingdom. I don't know about you, but I would like to be useful. I would like to be useful to God and His kingdom. So if nothing else, the day I see Him face to face, He doesn't go, well, you tried, buddy. But you really just weren't all that useful to me. But you were saved, so come on in. I'd much rather hear, well done, my good and faithful servant, enter into the rest of your master. Would you not? We work so that we're not useless. But then finally, we work to make our salvation secure. Peter says, be all the more diligent in verse 10 to confirm your calling and election. Now, this does not mean that we work for our salvation. All right. Well, you cannot work, earn, do enough, be good enough, give enough. You can't do enough to earn your salvation. You cannot. That's not what Peter means. What Peter is, is, is telling us is, is we've been called and chosen. God is the one who calls. God is the one who saves. And Peter's logic is, since God has called you, since God has saved you, since Jesus died on the cross for your sins and rose again, and God has done this great thing in your life, then you should be eager to make sure your calling is secure. You should be eager to work in your faith to continue to grow. And what Peter is saying is, as you work in it, as you continue to grow in it, you're going to grow all the way to the end. And you can go back through Scripture and look in places, uh, several places. 1 Corinthians 15, uh, 2 says that we hold fast to the Word. Hebrews 3.14 says, if we hold our original confidence to the end. 2 Timothy 2.12, if we endure with him, we will reign with him. And then from the lips of Jesus in Matthew 10.22, the one who endures to the end will be saved. New Testament shows that our security of our calling is demonstrated when we persevere to the end. We make it all the way to the end. How do you persevere all the way to the end? You keep growing in those virtues that Peter listed. You keep working. And he says that if you keep doing that, look down in verse 10 again. He says, if you do that, you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Now, that does not mean that you will be perfect. This does not teach Christian perfectionism. You, you will never be a perfect Christian this side of heaven. What it means is, as we grow in in, in these virtues, as we continue to go forward, as our knowledge is increasing, as we're working to make our, our election and calling secure, that what's happening is when we get to the end of our marathon, God's not going to change His mind. God's not going to look down on you when you arrive in heaven and say, you know what? You did everything I told you to do, but I've decided I'm going to change my mind and set up some new requirements. 
Peter is saying to you as you work in all of this, work knowing that God is going to be consistent to his promises that he has made you. He's going to fulfill them. You can be assured that if you work to grow in these virtues, then God will do what he has, he has promised you. And it says that he is going to welcome you in. Look at what it says, verse 11. For in this way, they will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom. I think sometimes when we think about our life here, and when we die and, and we go to heaven and we're in his presence and we think about John 14, you know, Jesus saying, I'm going to come and get you. I think we don't see the celebration the way it's probably going to play out. Now, I don't know exactly what it's going to look like. Okay? None of us do. However, here we have Peter writing that when you get there, you've done all this. He says, it's going to be richly provided. When you get to the end, God is just going to lavish His mercy, His grace on you. It's going to be amazing. I don't think we're just going to stroll into heaven. I don't know what it's going to look like, but I don't think we're just going to kind of walk into it like we're walking into Belks. You know, oh, I'm here. Because as we walk in, God is going to lavishly, lavishly pour out all His blessings on us. And Peter says that He does that, and He's going to do it not just when you enter, Right, Because he goes on and says, into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That lavishness, that richness of God's salvation isn't going to happen just on that one day. It's going to happen for all eternity. So as you work to grow to make your salvation secure, work knowing that when you get to the end, God is going to lavish His riches on you as He welcomes you into the kingdom to reside with Him forever and ever and ever. So work to make your salvation secure. When we first, first part of this message, when we looked and said that God had given us all things pertaining to God, life and godliness, I said that that was an encouragement, and it is. But it's also a warning. And the warning applies not to what God has done, but to our side, to what we're responsible for. And it's this. God has graciously given us everything we need to grow. Every single thing that we need. Which means that if we do not grow in these areas, we do not grow in these virtues, if we do not grow to keep from being useless, if we do not grow to make our salvation secure, the fault does not lie at God's feet. The fault lies within us. Because He has given us everything that we need. So since He has given us everything that we need, we need to work to grow in our faith. You've been listening to the Gary Talks About God podcast. Are you looking for a church? Well, Red Bank Missionary Baptist Church is a community of believers who exist to glorify God and see transform lives through the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can find us on the web at www.redbankmbc.com.
Also, come visit us on Sunday at 8104 Red Bank Road in Germantown, North Carolina. Did you like this podcast? We put one out each and every week, so don't forget to subscribe. We hope this has been a blessing to you, and we thank you for listening.